Are you ready? Good deal. We're doing part two this morning. Part one came from last week. Brilliant, huh? <laughs> so, uh, what Pastor Brennan spoke on last week, here we go on part two. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. And um, we're going to do our best to get a little more practical in it. Um, Pastor Brennan laid uh, the good uh, entrance of it in part one. And so we're going to look at this again here this morning. It's always good to uh, repeat it again. And repetition leads to retention. And so it's good to repeat. So we will do our best to uh, uh, unpack this again, this passage. I know that many of you, uh, it just seems like the, the atmosphere that everyone pretty much deals with is uh, challenge after challenge, difficulty after difficulty, um, tough times. And uh, again, what we have just sung matters. Jesus is your strength. Jesus is the reason we live. Jesus is our reason. Jesus is our strength. And the more you and I repeat that and remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture, uh, He will see you through. He will carry you through. You might not, I might not like it, <laughs> how it's going. But God is faithful to His Word. Don't you forget it. Okay? And the Lord does His work in and through the proclamation and the application of His Word. He will do that. The Word is sufficient for your every need. It doesn't answer every question, but the Word is sufficient for every need. We want to take a closer look at what's behind these terms that are, is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Just those two verses uh, reading together or following along. All Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate Equipped for every good work. Heavenly Father, we bow right now to just say thank you for you and how great you are. And that you are the one true God. And as your children, as Christians that have come to faith in Christ, we can trust you. And we can have confidence and great hope in you. Lord, we ask for your uh, blessing on this time. And also on our communion time uh, towards the end. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. And to walk this in our lives and live it out. Thank you for your help and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh when it comes to this term help, uh, which we need, it's uh, typically, it's a painful kind of help. But nonetheless, help from above, help from his word. And uh, again, the, the challenges or difficulties or trials that you're facing, uh, he knows of that. It's not like he uh, walked off and left you on your own. So, with that in mind, with whatever you're facing, here's what we want to do, is remind ourselves of these terms, doctrine, reproof, and correction, describing God's work in believers, leading to the blessing that he has, and our growth in the faith. 
So the first one, you can follow along there in your outline, if you'd like, is doctrine. And uh, we need to understand this as uh, another way to say it in your Bibles is teaching. Okay? And uh, it's your operation manual, if you will. The operation manual for life. You know, you think of, uh, if you went through the Connect questions this past week, you think of the various descriptions of God's Word. There's many. There are many descriptions of God's Word. It's our spiritual food. It's our bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's also uh, like milk and meat that Peter describes. Milk for the the babies, meat for those that are maturing. It's really the foundation of our life. Matthew chapter 7. Build on the foundation of what Jesus said. And so, no matter how long you've been a believer, or how short you've been a believer, how little time involved, you still build on that foundation. Don't go off to yourself and your own self-help. Stay on the foundation and keep building on the foundation of God's Word. It's uh, described in, Matt, uh, in Psalm 119. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We live in a dark world. It's a sinful world. It's dark out there, spiritually dark. You need the light. It's God's Word. The Bible also describes it as honey. Fire. It's like fire. There's a good thing about fire. It burns up the dross and leaves the precious metals. It's a sword that's sharp and piercing. And it's a seed that has... What, what does a seed have in it? Life. The Word of God is a little bitty seed. Plant it all around. Remember that song? Oh, come on. Some of you guys need to get with those children's songs again, right? So, thank you. The Word of God is a light. Yes. Okay. Um, and by the way, the Word of God is more, and let's say just much more precious than silver or gold. Praise God for His Word. So, there's three aspects of this. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. Of doctrine. It's the glorious declaration. Declaring to the reader who God is and what He's done. And what He will do. His call. His expectations. His commandments, etc., etc. Mainly for you and I. Believers in Jesus, we need instruction. We need um, guidance. Not just when you were saved back in the day, but ongoing guidance. We need it. Instructions for our life as His children. And uh, for those that were in Sunday school class in the fellowship hall, um, it's not about my opinion and what I think God is like. That was a good session that we had. And that's what you hear many people saying. Even some people who say that they're believers. Oh, my God is like, or my God is not like. No, it's what does the Bible say? Give me what the Bible says. So we submit to what the Bible tells us about who God is, His attributes, that's a great thing to help you in a troubled time. Do you recall his attributes when you're having a hard time? That's one of the things you and I need to do to help reinforce us in our faith. Remind yourself of God's attributes, who he is, and then thank him for his works. Most of you know that, but I tell you, do you stop doing that? When you and I stop doing that, guess what happens? I start being a wimp. I start whining. I start complaining. And so we need to remind ourselves of 
God's glorious declaration and letter B, his glorious deliverance that we have uh, those of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the greatest freedom ever. This is the greatest deliverance, the greatest gift. It brings us into a right relationship, being reconciled, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reconciled to God, safe and secure in his hands. Salvation is of the Lord. That's a key phrase, very simple, but salvation is of the Lord, not of you figuring it out. God found you, Jesus found you. You didn't find him. John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. And the next verse goes on to say, who were born of God. Verse 13. The, the glorious deliverance also, uh, we, we just mentioned John chapter 8, verse 32. And that is... <laughs> The truth will set you free, Christian. Free from what? Free from your chains. Free from the bondage of sin. And you and I, like sheep, go get lost again. Not not lose our salvation, but we wander off. And we need to understand uh, not to go put the chains of sin back on. That comes with maturing in the faith. Don't go back to the old life. Right? The truth shall set you free and you shall be free indeed. Okay. Let us see. We have a glorious destination. The first part of that is the journey that you're on right now. The glorious destination of being conformed to the image of Christ. In your life. That's what's happening now. That's the work he's doing now. You're a pilgrim headed to the celestial city. Are you uh, working in such a way to respond to God's work? You're turning to rely on him and love him and obey him. And hopefully that we're being useful in his kingdom, in his church. God didn't save you just to get you to heaven. God saved you to that you, you would glorify God in your life. Not just have him here on a Sunday, but all the way through your life, your day, your week, your month, your year, right? And also the glorious destination to our ultimate home in heaven in the life to come. John chapter 13, 34 and 35 for that first part. And then John 14, 1 through 6, the promise that Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And I'll come again and have you be with me in that place forever. Praise God. So doctrine teaching of God's word, we ask ourselves, really on a, not a one-time basis, but a regular basis, ask yourself, is, what place does God's word have in my life? Is it drifting off? Or is it getting closer and closer, dearer and dearer to my heart? If it's limited, if the, if the aspect of doctrine and teaching is limited to Sunday morning only, you're out of shape. You're really out of shape. And in our day and age, you know, we we want to be in shape, right? We're out of shape if we're not into God's word. And by the way, being out of shape means you have little endurance. I saw yesterday morning Richard Hickox out with uh, wannabes for the sheriff apartment department, and they had to run the track. 
And uh, they had to do sprints, back and forth sprints. And I was thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not having to run out there. I keep it to a tennis court. It's limited. But, uh, you know, some of them are struggling. Their endurance wasn't very, uh, you know, doing very well. And if you have little endurance, then what's the next thing? You have little strength. You have little strength to last, right? Because, get this, you have little resources, if we're talking spiritually, you have little resources of God's Word. You need the resources and the, the unending resources, the unending grace and truth that, by the way, Jesus was full of. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Do you get that? You and I are not. And so, time in the Word is, is critical for us to give us strength, to give us hope, to allow you to have a joy, not just a happiness in circumstances. So, don't limit, you know, if things are that way where you limit it to a Sunday morning, then open it up to saying, how am I going to schedule my time to show my priority in my life with the doctrine of God's Word? Now we get to a challenging one. If the doctrine is about the operation manual, the second one, reproof, is really your alarm system. And a lot of times we ignore our alarm system. We don't want to hear that alarm system. We, we, we block it out. And that's really what, what it is with reproof. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have been reproved or rebuked? You know, it's just not that popular. So let's move on. No, we're not going to move on. Let's linger here a bit with reproof. It is. It's a rebuke. It's calling you out with your sin or your bad sin problem or habit. Wrongdoing, wrong uh, behavior, wrong thinking, wrong behavior, wrong conduct. Those kind of things. And so this first aspect of reproof, it's something we all agree with and we all say, yeah, that's right, out of the Lord's word. Right? It's out of the Lord's, it's from the Lord's Word that you get rebuked. When you do your own personal reading, when you hear a sermon, whether it's here or during the week or during the evenings or whatever, when you hear biblical preaching, when you have a teaching time, all those things, here's the potential of rebuke or reproof. And being God's Word, listen, Being God's Word, it has it built right in. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, something is added in quickly. No, it's built into the Word that there will be reproof. There will be rebukes to your life and your conduct, etc., etc. But it's especially regarding the warnings of false teaching. And that's what we see in 2 Timothy. The first half of chapter 3 is about false teaching. Watch out for it. And you see it throughout the New Testament epistles. I appreciate the uh, comment from John MacArthur who says, Regular and careful study of Scripture builds a foundation of truth that, among other things, exposes sin in a believer's life with the purpose of bringing Correction, confession, renunciation, and obedience. That's what comes with rebuke. That's what should. Okay? As Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Holy One. The Righteous One. The Judge. (laughs) That's who God is. Along with other attributes, right? And along with that, we see that uh, in Scripture, there is this negative tone that comes with this idea of rebuke and reproof. But it also is about tearing down and destroying. Second Chronicle, uh, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of uh, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And those fortresses really, folks, are in your heads, in your minds. Fortresses of the old man. Fortresses of a world view. Yeah. The word of God brings about the destruction of those old man, old flesh fortresses that have been built up in your minds. That's what the Corinthians were dealing with. And then it goes on to say, Paul writes and says, we are destroying. That's that's a strong word. We are destroying speculations and every high thing and lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. I hope that there's connection for you there in how to go about your day. Because there's an ongoing uh, life battle with the things of the flesh and the influence of the world. And even add in the abundance of false teaching that in America alone has to wade through and, and reject. So this idea of rebuke or reproof coming from the Lord's word is much like what doctors have to do when they do a little bit of surgery on you. They have to dig deep, right? It's not that they're just going to give you a a little rub on the shoulder and, and deal with the infection. Say, well, you'll be okay. No, they have to dig in and dig deep. And that's what the word of God does. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It digs, pierces in. The Word of God has that effect. It exposes sin. It convicts of sin. And so much learning that we need to do in God's Word, as all of us have the struggle with the old flesh, the old man, the the pride and the ego that so easily comes forth in our behavior, in our attitudes, in our conversation. We've got to daily deal with it and deny it. It's always going to want to take the throne in your heart. It's always any opportunity, little opening, my pride kicks in. And so there's that aspect of sanctification that God's working on to divert that from happening so that Christ remains Lord, King. Are all in all. Okay? And really, again, it's there's so much influence going on. Um, we heard it in Sunday school about the value and the great critical importance of raising up children with the truth of God's Word. It's got to happen. And nowadays, it's at younger and younger ages, where the world's influence is hitting them, even before kindergarten. And it's a strong, powerful current of false teaching. And self-idolizing. So, we have to realize the world that we live in is no friend of grace, no friend of God. More and more, Christians included, are, uh, I'd call it declawed. You know, like you have to have your cat declawed. 
while Christians have been declawed from the, uh, with the, the secularization that's gone on. Declawed of most of God's truth. And we've got to just come back. Come back to doctrine. Come back to the Word. And be open to, here's the reproof that we need. The reproof or the rebuke that we need from God's Word. But letter B, under number two, is... <laughs> It's from the Lord's instrument. The Lord's instrument. And what I mean there is that it's either going to come, a a, a reproof might come from a friend. One that knows you. And comes and pulls you aside and talks to you. And says, you know, I've noticed this and I think that's wrong. You need to change. That's from maybe a, a close friend. One that knows you, that you have confidence in. You trust them. And they pull you aside. The other thing, the other aspect about an instrument is that it might be from just life situations. The situations of life that happen cause you to realize, man, I've been blowing it here. And so, whatever instrument... God uses to get your attention. It's a, it's a situation that causes you to recognize your neglect or your disobedience or your, your bad habits. So, but most of us all know that sometimes this is done uh and we avoid it because it's done in a self-righteous way, a judgmental way. Someone comes up and speaks to you and says, uh, I've noticed this about you, and you you get the sense that it's done in a condescending, self-righteous way. What do you do? You still have to respond with wisdom. You still have to examine your own heart not point back immediately to the person talking to you and say, you're full of whatever. It's still a wise thing that you recognize what God says is wisdom and examine your own heart. After all, didn't God use a donkey to stop the prophet Balaam? Well... We won't go any further than that. But just recognize, um, it could be a person that really loves and cares for you and is speaking truth to you, or it could be someone that comes across as a self-righteous judge. Is it legitimate? You have to examine that. I have to examine that. Is anyone here that, you know, you don't need any rebuke or reproof in your life? You got it all together? No. And not that we're going to have a sign-up list out in the foyer. Sign up! The pastor's going to rebuke you. It might be that you'll need it, right? We always need, number one, the Lord and His grace, and then what He's given. Here's the body of Christ. Fellow believers. Accountability. But you know, and I know, we kind of push that aside because I'm okay, you're okay. Right? It's really all right. So, beware of that and ask God for wisdom. Throughout the Proverbs, it's saying, here's what wisdom does. Okay? And we'll look at some of those here. Uh, in, a, in a moment. Okay, so, letter C, under number two, areas to seriously examine. Number one is false teaching, false belief. Uh, Paul, Peter, John uh, wrote to the believers at churches to watch out and be on the guard for false teaching. Just think about it. There's a lot of ink dedicated to warnings about false teaching. It happened early on in the life of the church. 
And it's still happening in our day. And if you're, you're not careful, you can get swept away by it. Now, it might be self, you know, you, uh, uh, just being a good person. I'm a good person. I'm okay with that. That doesn't do it. That's a part of false teaching. <laughs> if you're good enough, you'll, you'll make it with God. No, that's false teaching. And then what's done in organized Christian or organized churches, I should say. Okay. Be on the lookout for that. I already mentioned the first half of chapter 3 here is dealing with false teaching in many other places in the New Testament letters. Number two, idols in our lives. Idols in our lives. That's an area that needs close examination from all of us. No matter how long you've been a Christian. It's not like you you have an, uh, an exempt card and you 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 get to... Slip by this one. The problem is, all of us are idolaters at heart. That's one of the problems of being a sinner. Now, we, we claim that Christ is Lord, He's Master, He is God, He's our King, etc., etc. But the Bible, again, warns you as a Christian to guard yourselves from idols. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. And John came off of t- talking about the, the, the principles of who God is and who the Christian is. S- solid things for us. And then at the end, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems like, he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Why? Well, the flip side of what he just got done saying is the potential. Don't get caught up in that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What are some categories of idolatries for uh, born-again believers? That's a weird question. It's like, do we really need to cover that? We love the Lord. But we still have a problem with categories like Self-pleasure. Categories like self-success. My agenda. And yes, husbands and wives, it happens to you. My agenda. My my way of looking at things. You know, um, Noreen and I have been married for 40 plus years. And uh, I, you know... Ongoing, you know, I want my way. We've been dealing with furniture stuff and dealing with things. You know, it's no, I want my way. That's a little thing. But it's, what is it a sign of? It's a sign of the idol of, the, the big idol of my heart, myself. Or yourself. Now, I know it seems like we can get a little nitpicky on it. But we got a problem with idols. And it's not carved wood idols that you have in your closet. It's idols of the heart. And recognize that, my friend. Recognize it. Be on the lookout for it. Guard yourselves from it. Idols for young children. Heroes. Idols of uh, the sports world, idols of entertainment, uh, idols of, maybe for you adults, for your political party. Yes, even your political party. Yeah. Just opening up a little bit and you can get off on a tangent of talking about this or that. It shows the attitude of your heart. Idols of our affections, idols of our allegiances, idols revealed in how we talk, what we spend our time doing. And I'm not talking about, well, that means you have to be a, go back to a monastery life. And that's the, just, I think that's what the monks did. 
and the nuns did. Well, we'll show, you know, this. We'll, we'll go off to a monastery and not have any problems at all. Ha! You know what problem they had? Idol of the self, of self, of pride, of their own way, etc., etc., etc. That's why the Bible is clear about idolatry. Now, in Corinth, there are a lot of carved idols, statues, etc., etc. But we know the problem of the heart. We should know the problem of the heart. And that is, we, we raise up idols very frequently in our lives. And we have to be on guard for them. And so I must realize, and I, I've got to come to grips with my problem, your problem. You come to grips with your problem. Let me just say this. I can be so guilty of wanting self-worship. I can be so guilty of wanting my way all the time. And uh, all that shows is I'm the one trying to get control of what? The throne of my heart. So the question is, what are the priorities of your life? And is your mind, your mind being renewed in the truth of God's word? And I thank God for what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand. To keep seeking and to set my mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. There's a far greater uh, world there where things are, you know, things above, far greater than what we're dealing with here. But you won't, and I won't, uh, recognize that until I spend more time in the Word. It comes back to doctrine. Teaching. God's Word. And so, Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 3, very helpful there. Um, quickly, number 3, under number uh, 2C, the ways we deal with our own sin... Uh, we deal with sin like uh, you just sweep it under the carpet. After all, I'm forgiven. So just sweep the issue of my own sin. Just sweep it under the carpet. Don't. It's not that big of a deal. Just kind of deal with it lightly, frivolously, uh, minimizing it, neglecting it, whatever. How do you deal with your own sin? And the Bible, again, very clear. First John 1 John 1.9, we're supposed to memorize that one. Everyone should know that, right? If we confess, that means to agree with God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't sweep your own sin just under the carpet and act frivolous or minimize it or neglect it. And then the, the last one is the ways we deal with others. The way we treat others. In Christian, we can be, again, very easily guilty of condescending towards our attitude towards other Christians. Attitudes about what they did or whatever. Now, it seems like I'm going against what point two was with reproof, right? <laughs> so discernment, wisdom is needed. You don't want to come across um, in a I know the answers kind of a way. We need to come across in a humble way with wisdom from God. His truth. Stand on the truth. So, uh, the responses to reproof are never uh, real easy to receive. It's never easy to receive that. And yet, we need to take the time to ask God for wisdom and examine our own hearts and discern, is this something that I need to respond to and, and do I need to change? So, 
lot of issues come up with this of, you know, how should, um, you know, why, why, you know, do I need to give reproof to my friend or my fellow brother or a sister in the Lord? How do I handle that? An attitude always should be of love and honoring the Lord and have mutual accountability with fellow believers. Number three, and that is correction. Uh, Here's your ongoing maintenance checkup. Your ongoing maintenance checkup. It is good for us. It is needful. Correction from God's Word and from God's servants, if you will, um, shows proof of being God's child. It is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12, it is discipline that you endure. Uh, God deals with you as with sons, as children. Okay? Letter B, it's proof of God's love. Better is an open rebuke from Proverbs 27. Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. And then letter C, it's proof of getting things set straight or set upright. This is really uh, looking at the term correction in the Bible. What it means from the Greek is to be right up again, restored. That's the idea behind the term correction. You're being restored. Think of Peter. After the resurrection, what happened? Uh, Christ had many appearances, but... Um, Peter and some of the other disciples went where? Back to fishing. You say, well, what else are they going to do? Well, they were told what else they were supposed to do by Jesus. But Peter w- goes fishing. My friends, that you know, we, we've got to connect that with his old life, his old ways. He's not doing what the master told him. He's going back to his old ways. And what is what happens? Christ is on the shoreline. He calls out to the guys, "Hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat." And they haul in. A, they can't even haul in the the load of fish. And Peter realizes it's the Lord, and he jumps in the water, swims back to shore. And there's the famous conversation. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I kind of like you. Now, he says love, but it's a different word than Jesus used. And what all that Jesus is doing here is he's, restor- he's restoring Peter. Okay, He's restoring Peter. And so... Just like a doctor would uh, set a bone, right? It's broken, but he sets the bone and then puts a, a wrap or a cast on it. And so that idea of the word correction. It might hurt, but it's really important for us. This is what the Lord desires for you, to restore your fellowship with Him. Not to restore your salvation, you can't lose salvation. It's to restore your fellowship with Him. So we learn much more of how much we need His gift of grace moment by moment. Not week to week, but moment by moment grace that we need. So God's motive in all this is what? It's His love for you but also His glory for His His name's sake. Doctrine, reproof, and correction that leads us to the conditions for communion. Number four, the conditions for communion. I hope you have your elements with you. And uh, we're going to start with the bread, but here's the, the key idea here is remember. If you're a believer, this is what you do. You start by remembering what Christ did. Remember what Christ did. Remember 
as we receive these elements. Remember what he went through. His offering himself on your behalf. His perfect perfect sacrifice. So we remember. We then also recognize and repent of sin. We've got to do that. This is a time where you acknowledge your sin. Repent of it. Not just um, know about it, but turn away from it. And maybe there's things right now that the Spirit of God is reminding you of that you need to turn away from. May God be glorified in this time of preparation. If you're going to partake of communion, that means you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, these elements are not for you. You need to understand that coming to faith in Christ means that you have participated in his death. We've died to to sin. We've died and now we live with Christ. Resurrection living. So we first remember what he's done. We recognize and repent of sin. And we ask him, Lord, restore us. Restore me to fellowship with, close fellowship with you and be renewed in that way. And then one I would add is to be resolved. How are you going to face the rest of today and the rest of this week? Will you be resolved to say no to sin that you've been struggling with? Will you be resolved to say no to um, a critical spirit? Will you be resolved to say no to lying or cheating or, or anger that flies off the handle, as we say? Will you be resolved to say no to those bad habits, bad sin issues in your life? Will you be resolved to say, Lord Jesus, lead my way? Be my Lord. And then the final one being, are you going to rely on on God's grace, God's finished work in your life? Are you going to rely on Him in that way? His finished work, it means what? You don't have to add anything to it. It's finished. It's a perfect work. Will you rely on His grace and His strength for your life? And then, we need to be resolved. We've talked about it here this morning. Be resolved to say, I need to spend time in God's Word. And not just to be a hearer, but a hearer and a doer, so that it shows that I am learning, I am living it out, And I want to love it. Okay? Those issues there. And so we take uh, the elements here. Um, Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And taking the bread. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, and says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake.
Let's, let's pray together right now before we go on to the next, uh, to the cup. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again. Lord, we are uh, always in need of your, of your grace and your help in our lives. Lord, guide us, help us, and please, Lord, be glorified in our lives as we turn to look to you. There is no other help. We have uh, come to the place where we realize uh, not, we cannot offer nothing from ourselves to be made right with you. And so, Lord, we thank you again for your gift of salvation through Jesus and the gift of grace that is ours on a regular basis. Lord, we, pray, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Okay, I'd like to have the singers uh, join us up, join me up front here for a closing song. <clears throat>